Hey, welcome to the Jesus is All We Need podcast. I am so glad that you're here and that you get to listen to this conversation that I get to have with my buddy Cheyenne Caldwell from the LAFD, Los Angeles Fire Department. Cheyenne has been a firefighter with the city down there. And when I say down there in LA, it's because I'm up here in Northern California since 2002. He's with Firefighters for Christ. He is a dad, a husband, and a follower of Christ. And with that being said, I'm going to introduce you guys to Cheyenne. Cheyenne, welcome to the show. Thank you, man. Glad to be here. Um, let's do this. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. Where are you right now, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, I'm at the firehouse. Um, I was able to get away from uh, the downstairs area. Just got relief from my last tour. And uh, just caught a structure fire this morning. And I'm glad we were able to get back here and, and make our appointment and talk. Yeah, so good. So for those of you that are listening right now, you may not understand firehouse life. And uh, I totally get what what Cheyenne's talking about. When you're coming back from a structure fire, what exactly does that mean? I mean, you don't have to give us the full details of what went down this morning, but what what, what did you guys have, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry for sure. Let me clarify that. So this morning, about 5.30, 5.30 this morning, we had a uh, two-story uh, center hall apartment house with a fire in the first floor, one unit on the first floor. Um, obviously the apartment house is fully occupied and, uh, we were dispatched to it, uh, as a second in truck. Uh, we went in and we took over, uh, what would be the fire floor, extend some hose lines in there, uh, evacuated the, the people, um, put the fire out and ultimately cleared out the smoke and made it habitable for, for those folks to come back into their homes. But, uh, yeah, it's what we do on an everyday basis, and I know that sometimes we we brush over it, but it's uh, something we do every day. <laughs> right, you know, and and that's the thing about firefighting that people don't see sometimes is maybe you're in a community where your house burns down and, and you have insurance and things can happen, and all oh, Red Cross comes in and puts you up. But there's so many communities out there in the United States, you know, just nationwide where whatever we save, that's all they have left. And a lot of times as we're overhauling, mopping up, making it safe, you know, inside before we go back to the firehouse because we don't want to, you know, one ember can uh, spark back and uh, cause a, a devastating fire all over again. But once we're done with that, watching people sometimes have to move back in to that house because that's all they have as opposed to their insurance adjuster setting them up with a hotel. It breaks my heart, but on the flip side, it also blesses me to see you guys out there doing it because not only are you about life, property, and environment, you're also about giving the people their house back under much better conditions than you found it, meaning it was on fire when you found it. So I just appreciate all that you do, man. And uh, the guys and gals down there at LAFD do on a daily basis. You guys are uh, heroes in my book. That's for sure. Thank you, Jason. So um, let's talk about truck. People ask a truck company, what is a ladder truck and what do you do on the truck company? Well, I'm actually a task force commander, which is the captain of the, uh, the truck company. For us here in the LA city area, we have a light force and a task force. Um, Combined a task force is comprised of a truck, which is hook and ladder, and two engine companies. So that's what I'm in charge of on a daily basis. That's so good. See, uh, where I come from in Oakland, maybe we don't have as uh, much staffing as you. So we have a ladder truck, which is uh, staffed by one officer and four firefighters. Mm -hmm. And then over on the engine, we have one officer, one engineer, 
and two firefighters is how that worked out. So having a task force and having that, uh, uh, that extra manpower there, dude, that's so awesome, man. And, you know, especially with the amount of calls that you guys go per year, I mean, you're, you're one of the busiest in the nation. So that's so great. So anyways, Cheyenne, when you joined the fire department back in 2002, what was it like going through the academy, getting on the job and all that, if you wouldn't mind me asking? Well, it was one of the toughest things I've done. Um, prior to coming on the job, I played uh, football at UCLA, uh, Division One football. And uh, that was tough. But coming on the job was even yeah. tougher, I would say, because the emotional toll, the physical toll, the psychological toll, uh, it, it was that just that, a toll. Uh, it took a lot out of us. And for the duration of time that we were in the drill tower, going through all of what they made us go through to get to where we are. But uh, I'll tell you one thing, uh, going through the LAFD drill tower has made us, uh, me particularly, that much better uh, of a firefighter. Um, giving you the confidence or giving me the confidence that I have now after 20 plus years of, um, of doing this job. And I say 20 plus because before coming on the LAFD, I've worked for the Phoenix Fire Department uh, since 2000. So anyway, coming on to the LAFD has got really uh, given me a, a whole nother level of, uh, of experience. Um, the Rolodex is, I mean, I can't even tell you, you know, some of the things I've, right. I've thought about and seen and, and, and you really don't really look at it until you do something like this in retrospect and think about mm-hmm. how many bodies we've pulled out of buildings and how many saves we've had. And it's, it's quite, it's a, it's a great profession. Um, you know, as well as I do, we keep it humble. Don't like to talk too much about ourselves, but if you do look at it from outside right. perspective, it's pretty, right. Impressive. People won't believe some of the stuff we do, you know. So that's always, yeah, the humility part. So that always plays into everybody's equation. Right. And that's what I love talking with other firefighters, especially in a format like this. So the the average normal everyday citizen who doesn't go in to an environment, you know, let's let's talk about where we work and where I work because I had to leave the fire department five years ago after breaking my back and hip in an incident. It was, you know, it sounds worse than what it is, but unfortunately it just didn't let me uh, continue on with my career. But during my years of firefighting, people would often ask, what's it like? And I'm like, well, imagine if your workspace is only about two feet off the ground, (laughs) okay? And if you go any higher than that, you're in heat that is so insane, it it will start even affecting your protective gear. And when you're crawling down a hallway to make that apartment and the carpet is melting to your knees and it's it's just so insanely hot inside of a fire, but you want to keep pushing through because you know there may be someone trapped. People don't realize what it's like. So Cheyenne, when you go into what we may just consider like a room and contents fire, mm-hmm. which is a blazing hot fire because all the heat, all the gases and everything are trapped inside. What's it like for someone going interior on a fire in, in your perspective? In my perspective, as you mentioned, you know, it's, I teach my rookies. It's, it's something that um, let the environment tell you what to do. So what I mean by that is using all your senses. So as we make our way down the hallway, as you mentioned in the, in the scenario described, uh, you walk and then eventually have to crawl. And then you have to go to your belly because of the heat and the smoke above your head. Right. But, you know, obviously you want to, we're trying to cool the environment as we go uh, so that we're not pushed to our bellies. Um, me a little bit, I'm a little more safety conscious just because I've been burned before in a fire. So I tell my folks to control the environment before the environment has to control you. So with that being said, making your way down the hallway and then uh, getting that door either uh, if it's already open, which it probably is, to shut it to prevent that generator, which is the fire inside that unit 
from extending into the hallway. So it's all right. systematic. It may sound, it may look like chaos on the fire ground, but it's all systematic in what we do and how we do it in order to extinguish the fire. And obviously after that and during that is the search for any viable victims that may be in there. So it is intense. Say for instance, right. just to give no. you a, a feeling for it. You got that, that ears, your ears are a great sensor for us. And as you know, Jason, you probably had burns to your ears because those are the, what extend from your head. And um, that, they skin starts to sizzle a little bit. Okay, we've gone a little too far at this point, and it's uh, either change the environment or, or, or get out. Right. No, that's you know, um, I, I'm not an old school guy, if you will, but when I was raised up in the Oakland Fire Department, our joke was we're about 20 years behind everyone else, especially when it came to the newest and the latest gear. So we um, wore leather helmets, and it was actually talked down to wear a flash hood to protect yours and all that so when you talk about the ears burning yeah that was always a great sensor for me it was time to open up the nozzle and hit the fire anyways on a ladder company which you're on and which i worked for many many years too we also go to the roof to ventilate to get the heat out of the fire if you could give us a quick rundown on what that's about that would be great if you could cap sure on the ladder on our truck uh we have a 100 foot aerial ladder as well as a full complement of uh, ground ladders, which are wood ladders that are thrown manually. Uh, the aerial ladders thrown um, uh, hydraulically. And uh, so say, for instance, yesterday, we had a uh, one-story duplex with heavy fire from every orifice. That was yesterday, last night. And um, so what we do uh, is because um, we couldn't reach it with our aerial ladder, we had to go to ground ladders. At that point, we would uh, find a, a sound area of uh, of the roof to ladder, which is, means put a ladder up to the roof. What along comes with us is uh, sounding tools, which are tools that uh, we bang onto the uh, the structure itself on the roof to make sure the struct the roof is structurally sound. And we come up there with chainsaws, which um you know guys that fell trees they use. It's just a regular chainsaw, uh, used obviously for us in, in the fire service. And we go up there and we cut a, a, a ventilation hole in coordination with fire tech fire tech is the engine company on the inside um to in order to get the gases mm-hmm. and heat uh, off their their head so they can find the seat of the fire so it's a coordinated effort that we do uh and that's basically the uh the operation for uh, our side on the truck and then we move on to other operations after that obviously once the hole's big enough and um the fire is lifted off of the engine company Good. You know, and and so for those of you that are listening in, I just wanted to give you guys a little background of the fire service because what most people see is just that big shiny engine, that big shiny ladder truck, and, and they see a bunch of people dressed up in gear getting off, but they don't actually understand what's going on. And so I appreciate you giving us that view there, uh, uh, Cheyenne. What I want to kind of go into now is like the behind the scenes type of stuff that so often people just see the shiny badge. They see you uh, guys and gals all dressed up with shiny boots and a nice uniform or on scene of a fire. They, they see you wearing all the gear and people sometimes forget that there's a human being behind there, someone with a family, someone with a life, someone who feels the same pain as everyone else, but still goes in to extremely dangerous situations. And a few years ago, you responded to a fire, and I believe you just became the truck driver or uh, operator, if you will. Is that correct? Um, what year was that, if you don't mind me asking? That was 2007, July 24th, 2007. So July 24th, 2007, you promoted. I promoted to apparatus operator. 
Yeah, apparatus operator. Gotcha. So you're responding to a fire, and it was. Um, I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna shut my mouth. Tell us about that fire, if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah, uh, July 24, 2007. That was uh, the day that lived in lives in infamy for for me. Um, it was called the Adams Fire, and actually, it's only we're about a mile and a half, two miles from from it right now, <laughs> where I stand. Uh, so it's right up wow. the street from here. And so uh, I just promoted apparatus operator that day, that particular day. So I was a young in the job, um, promoted young. Uh, I was a go-getter. I wanted to do all I can with the amount of time I had on the job, fighting for every opportunity. And it, I got pushed, not pushed, but I pushed myself to the level of taking the exam. And so this exam uh, is very is very tough. It's uh, strenuous, but um, and, and few people take it. And so I thought, you know what, that's the position I want that a few people try to strive for. And so I strove for it and I went with all I had to get it. And it was all I wanted to do. I just wanted to drive the hook and ladder truck. In this day, uh, after many years of, of mm-hmm. trying and, and, and studying and, and practicing, um, I was finally promoted. And that was July 24, 2007. So it's your, wow. So it's your, and was this your first fire you went to as the operator? Yeah. So, well, we had a couple of structure responses earlier in the day, nothing really to, you know, get off and do much work on, but this mm-hmm. one, uh, came out at about 8 PM, uh, that day we we're sitting at the dinner table, uh, just chatting about operations and, and other things. And, um, the fire broke out and it was a one story commercial structure fire, which is most of what you look like, like a, um, manufacturing stash storage and, like you would see the tire shops around, around the city. They were doing paints and stuff like mm-hmm. that there. Um, but just to give you an idea of what it looked like, a one-story commercial with an attached one-story commercial to the rear. So we came, uh, got dispatched to it as task force, uh, task force 26, responded into the, the structure fire. And the size up on scene from uh, those on scene already stated it was a one-story commercial with heavy fire showing from the rear of the building. At that point, while we're en route, that kind of ups our game a little bit. Okay. They see fire showing everybody's uh, antennas go up. The, the speed gets a little faster. Uh, we want to get there and make sure we get uh, the, our ladders up right. and water on the fire. So uh, once again, young in the job and I, I got there, we threw our aerial ladder to the roof uh, guys threw ground ladders to the, to the roof as well. As I was putting my aerial ladder up, my captain two went up to the roof ahead of me and, uh, was doing a size up, giving a size up, basically a report of what's happening up on, on, on the roof to the uh, incident commander. So then I got up there uh, doing a size up from the ground, looked up. I saw there's a couple of different roof lines I wanted to get to. So I called for one of my guys to grab another ground ladder to take to the roof with us. I grabbed the chainsaw, my um, breather on my back, and I went up to the aerial to the roof. Yeah. I saw my captain to the right. I saw he was on walking around already on this particular roof. So that roof was sound. Um, I made my way to the rear of the building and, uh, there was about an 18 inch division wall and looking past that wall, it was a skylight. So a skylight's about an eight foot by 12 foot, um, uh, window basically to the, to the sky for light. And I saw that blowing, blowing fire. And, um, as indication wall, this is where the seat of the fire was. So I stepped over this division wall and took one step and I fell through the decking into the structure fire um, and uh, fell about 
13 to 15 feet uh, into the structure, uh, fell against mm-hmm. some 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 uh, cage that was inside the structure that flipped me over, and I uh, landed on the mm-hmm. concrete. And at that point, uh, yeah. The listeners, I want the listeners to just kind of understand this, Shine, because I, you're so humble, and I, I so love the way you tell this story. But I got to add to it. My friends, what Cheyenne was walking over was a raging inferno. Basically, everything underneath of him was on fire, and he was going to cut a hole to let that fire out so the interior crews, the guys that were going in, could safely and effectively fight the fire. So there was obviously the fire volume was insane. And we're talking thousand degree plus heat inside that building when you fell through, would that be a, a good description of the scene? Yeah, Jason. I, I'm, yes, that's perfect. Thank you for, for sharing that information because yeah, I can't assume anything. Yeah. There's just the full, the whole mm. building was on fire. Right. <laughs> the right. whole building was on fire. The contents were on fire. The building was on fire. Right. And obviously because I stepped on this roof, the actual structure was on fire. So right. it had gone from just the contents, which is the stuff inside of the building to the structure. Mm. So this, this building was under self demolition mm. because of the fire. So yes, you're hundred percent right. And that was my intent. Right. And so you fall through the, I mean, from a fireman's perspective, I just got chills right now. So I'm going to yeah. let you continue on, bud. Yeah. I get, I get chills myself thinking about it. Um, but it took, like I said, one step and I had my chainsaw in my hand um, and I fell through. And mm. basically, according to my captain, it was like I had taken a dive into the, the structure. So I fell completely through the decking and a ball of fire came out the hole I created. So you can imagine what was underneath me as soon as I fell through the ball of fire came out. Yes. And that's what he saw from his perspective. So... Um, what did you see from your perspective? My perspective, to tell you the truth, Jason, I didn't see anything falling through. My memory lapses from the step mm-hmm. until I woke up on the ground. And, no. okay. and I just want to pause there just for a second. Just give me, just give me one, one second. Because I know we're in a tough area here, Cheyenne, so you take all the time you need. Well, Sorry, at the firehouse, and they're still doing normal routine no, stuff it's, here it's today. No, okay. it's okay. It's okay, So I fell through, and as I mentioned, it's about 13 to, 13 to 15 feet from the roof line down to the ground. And I fall through, and there's a cage inside this occupancy that held their paints and solvents and stuff like that. And they had an cage so people wouldn't get to it. So what I mean by cage, it was like a fenced-off area with two mm-hmm. upright, what would be spikes on right both corners of this fence. Right. And where I stepped through mm-hmm. was right in the middle of those two uprights. If I, if I can draw a picture of that, I, I wish I could, but with my words, there's two, it's a fence with two uprights. And I fell right in the middle of the horizontal piece between the two. Right. Mm-hmm. It reminds me, it, it reminds me of the scripture it says that the steps of a good man It's Psalms 37, 23 and 24. It says, the steps of a man are ordered, ordered by the Lord. And although he falls, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Mm-hmm. And that scripture, man, just rings out for me because I fell, right? And then I fall to the decking, ball of fire mm-hmm. comes out. I fall another five to six feet. I hit the, the fencing. That I bent in half. And then from there, I fall into the ground. 
Now, just just think about that for a second. Two feet to the left, I would have been impaled. Two more feet to the right, mm-hmm. or three feet to the right, I would have fell straight through to the concrete below. But God had me step right where I stepped. Mm-hmm. So although I fell, I did not utterly get cast down because that broke my fall. And he held me. I, I, I truly believe it. he held me in the palm of his hand right. onto the ground there, man. And so mm-hmm. for those firefighters out there listening, you know, it's real. He, he loves us. He loves us. But moving on, I was, I was mm-hmm. there on the ground and, and I, I said, okay, this is a bad, <laughs> obviously mm-hmm. this is bad. I woke up there and I, and I thought three right. things, I thought three things in my mind clear as day was, okay, Lord, I'm in here all by myself. I'm in here all by myself. Second, Lord, this is a, if this is it, I'm ready. And lastly, my life just went before me. All like on a DVD on, on fast forward, just my life. Every picture, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, all right. So if I had, had I gotten up and tried to run around, I probably would have been lost. Um, I was there. I hunkered down. I tried to get on the radio uh, with an emergency traffic, which was our uh, mayday at that time in the LAFD. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not get out, but I did hear my captain on the mm-hmm. roof conducting emergency traffic, trying to get out to the companies outside. And miracles just kept happening, man. I'm telling you, it happened in seven minutes and 10 right. seconds. I spent seven minutes and 10 seconds inside this raging inferno. <sighs> But if you could just zoom out for me for a second, and, and what happened on the roof was he saw me go through, a ball of fire comes out, he goes to the emergency traffic, he tries to get it out to everybody that, you know, called was falling through the roof, and he's getting the IC and everybody lined up. He looks over the edge of the, the building, the parapet, he sees an inch and three quarter hose line. So that's a medium-sized hose line for us, a firefighting mm-hmm. hose line, just sitting there, loaded. Right. Nobody's touched it. And he goes... He dropped back for it, which is basically told one of our, our firefighters on the roof to take one of our um, our drop bag lines, which is a piece of rope, to drop it down and bring that hose line up. So he immediately did that, right. brought the hose line up, they brought it up, and, and um, this is something that we don't do. But he took that hose line right, and he told the guys to put it in the hole I created. And he said – and let me just let me just zoom out just one more time. If you fast forward a few weeks, mm-hmm. and he went to the hospital, he said, "Hey, Cheyenne, listen to me. I was sitting there on the roof, and, and I saw what happened to you. And I tell you, bro, it was like God was speaking to me. And he wasn't a believer at the time. He says, I went through my whole Rolodex. I did not have one to pull from, but God told me to take this hose line and put it in the mm-hmm. hole. And he did that, man. Right. And <laughs> And so, and, and Shane, I just want to kind of, kind of go go with this, just so the listeners understand. The reason Shane is saying that we don't shoot water through that hole, obviously, is because that hole is letting the heat vent out. And as a firefighter, you're trained. If you ever put water through that hole, it's almost counterproductive because you're pushing the heat and the steam and everything back down. But in situations like this. My guess is you're going through some extreme pain down there too. And if you're not comfortable talking about that, I understand. 
But when someone falls into a fire, including a firefighter, the beast doesn't care. It, it turn it, it needs to eat. And it's, I know it sounds all backdrafty and, and silly and stuff, and I don't want to downplay it, but the human body is also fuel for the fire. That's why we wear protective gear. So you're down there yeah. and he's getting ready to shoot water to you. What, what was going on before that? If we're going too far, buddy, it's okay to pull back, but no, nobody got some questions is, for you. What were you feeling when you're down there? You know, without a doubt, man. Um, so yeah, we'll zoom back into where I was at this point. So the three thoughts, right? So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, okay, Lord, we're ready. I'm ready. Cause I'm in here by myself and, um, nobody's made entry yet. And <laughs> I'm about 50 feet in. And, um, I said, okay. But then I started talking to the Lord again. I said, Lord, okay, uh, this dying hurts. <laughs> Cause it was, it was at this point that my skin right. started to, to burn. If you can imagine, uh, putting your hands in an oven and, and letting them just sit there, uh, you know, normally you'd pull them out, but if you just let them sit there until your first layer, your second layer, mm-hmm. your third layer, and then your tendons start to burn. That's where I was. And I couldn't pull my hands out of the oven. I had to stay there feeling it, you know, my arms, my hands, my face, the back of my head, my belly, man, it was, um, hell on earth. If you can, this was it. This was hell on earth. But what the Lord told him to do and what he did was like water from heaven. Because as soon as he did that action, as soon as he Mm -hmm. could cause that hose line to put, be put in through the hole I created, it cooled me down and it stopped the burn in its tracks. And I think about in hindsight, man, I think that's it. My Lord said, that's it. My son's not going to burn anymore. That's, uh, Oh my gosh, dude. It stopped it in his tracks. It stopped it in his tracks, man. And yeah. I mean, if that's not a power to the testimony of God has plans for you and that wasn't your time. And in answer to your prayer that you're describing something that's kind of, um, I don't ever want to take away from your experience, but when I was uh, 15 years old, I was burnt over 40% of my body with second and third degree burns. Really? And the pain that I felt, I, I understand where you come from. And I also understand yeah. the cooling waters because I was in a boat out in the middle of Lake Mead when that happened. And um, oh. obviously I made my way to the water really quick. And then, you know, if anyone knows Lake Mead, it was also in October. So we had to tread water for a good uh, 30 minutes until someone came by and uh, rescued us out of that. But not take away from your story where I'm going with that date is the reason this feels so personal to me is because listeners might want to turn away, but the way to explain insane burns like that would be like your skin under a cheese grater and then having bees sting you inside of it. Mm. And to fast forward now, 20 years ahead, I was trapped in a fire and the feeling that I had of the alone. And when I started to feel the burns kick in, even though my burns are nowhere nearly as significant years or the story of me being trapped as significant as yours, I had a few blisters on my legs, but the moment of sitting there in pure darkness alone, and the only thing I could see was orange, the glow of the orange through the smoke around Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. and sitting alone, dude, 
And at that time in my life, I wasn't even a Christian man. And all I could think was, this is it. Mm-hmm. And even before as a Christian, I was starting to pray to God to mm-hmm. just get me out of this fire. Just get me out of this fire. And, you know, mm-hmm. he did. And my conversion happened shortly thereafter that fire because I realized I didn't want to die alone. I didn't want to be separated from God. And I didn't want to live eternally in that pain. And so when people talk about, you know, fear of the Lord and his love, it, you know, the, the God of Jacob, the, the God of David, the God of, of wrath, he, he's still the same God as today, but he gave us his, our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, his son, to, to rescue us from that, to save us Amen. from that. And Amen. to hear your story of you praying and, and the answer was your buddy on the roof who I believe he said was not a Christian at the time, sent showers of water on you to help cool the process. It, yeah. it just it blows me away, dude. So thank, thank you for sharing that. So you're in there. He's squirting water through the hole to try to give you some time. What, what happened next? Yeah. So what happened next was, let me see. I'm, I'm, I'm inside, as I mentioned, for seven minutes and 10 seconds. And, and the, the, the rig yeah. team, uh, the rescue rapid intervention team, our crew, um, really what wasn't a rapid intervention crew was actually just a backup fire tech. Another engine company, uh, made their way in mm. and, and found me. They were able to get me out, uh, and drag me through the machinery and, and finally, and finally brought me out to, uh, to the atmosphere, to the portal of entry. But you know, the thing that really stuck out to me, you just mm. mentioned about the guy that was on the roof. He said, uh, along his own testimony was that, the reason he put the water on me wasn't because he thought he would survive. He knew I was dead. He wanted my mm. family to be able to have an open casket funeral. That was his intention. Oh, wow. Um, wow. So if, if that can give the viewer wow. or listeners an idea of the intensity of, of this particular incident, mm. um, there's no way. I should have survived. Nobody expected us, expected me no. to survive. Nobody did. People coming in, but you know, you, you really, no. there's no atheists in foxholes, right? As they say. <laughs> so, I mean, prayer works. Right. Prayer right. works. I mean, if those listeners out there can listen, prayer mm-hmm. works. I mean, so I get, you get testimonies from all over the city. I mean, if you think, if you ask anybody where they were on this particular night, they'll tell you because it was that big of an incident. And, mm-hmm. and, um, right. he, there's guys that came in from our, our ha- other parts of the city where they were not believers, but they knew there was a believer on that particular rig. And as where they were in route, they told right. that, that, that rookie, Hey rookie, I, I know you're, you were a pastor before you got on the job, start praying. So can you imagine wow. you being, a, being a, a firefighter for as long I as you chills. were, you have a captain look back at you and say, Hey, start praying as you're in the jump seat. Wow. And he prayed out loud over the, over our headsets for, for me as they're in route wow. to the structure fire. Pray with and that, that drive, season, man. I mean. it, it, it's, it's truly amazing, man. And, and, and the, the testimonies of each individual that responded, it's craziness, but it's all the glory of God. Because like I said, I shouldn't have survived. There's right. no way. There's no way. Right. But, you know, he brought me through for a reason. And, and you know, we can go and talk about the incident for a long time, Jason, but 
you know, the biggest thing that I really uh, take from it is this, man, is that the Lord gives us all a cross to carry, right? And how you carry it matters. Now, a lot of firefighters, I'm going to speak to firefighters now, a lot of firefighters make it through certain incidents and they say, oh man, I was lucky that day. Man, I was lucky that day. And I look at him and I, and, and I have to think, wow, you don't see it. You just don't see it. And right. I pray for their eyes to be open as Jesus healed the blind man to, to open their eyes and see that God is, is in control of it all. Right? There's no mm-hmm. reason I should have survived. But I right. personally, in my incident, I give all glory to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for what he did for me on that day. There's no luck involved. There's no coincidence. Yes. It's all providence. Right. And providence is defined as God's hand at work Amen. for a later activity or mission, right? So he preserves us now for something he's yes. going to have us do later. And, and this story, man, has been carried through right. to, I mean, I, I just looked it up last night because I wanted to see the number just on YouTube or, you know, nearing a million views. Um, mm. It's going to direct TV. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Let me back up. What am I talking about? Huh? There's a story. So basically with the story yeah. I just shared with you, and again, we right, could talk about right. it for a long time, but basically um, B- Billy Graham's evangelical association uh, when he was still alive, um, heard about the story and they wanted to do a movie. So we came together, we collaborated and we made a movie mm-hmm. about the story I just shared with you. And it's called heaven, heaven by Billy Graham. And it's part of his, my hope America series. And that's part of the story. The part of the story is that, yeah, I went through this horrendous issue, this horrendous mm-hmm. incident, this horrendous burn. But I look back at my, I look at my hands. I look at him. I say, you know what, Lord, what are you going to do with them? And this is where the majority of my burns are. Wow. But he's done so much, man. I mean, thank God. Look, I'm back on the job. They told me I would not come back to work. I've been at work. Mm-hmm. I came back to the job 10 months after this right. incident. Right. And since then, though, so many things have happened to glorify God because of the incident, right? So the story was turned into a movie that's been seen by over a million people. And and at the end of this Billy Graham movie, we actually pray the sinner's prayer. Billy Graham, myself, and another one of the testimonies, we share the sinner's prayer. And we present the gospel. It's clear as day. At the end of the movie, you say yes or no. It's yes or no. Right. And it's all about, are you in or are you out? And to those firefighters out there who are listening, listen, Right? are you in or are you out? Because we walk on a razor's edge every day of our life, especially in this gig, in this job. I'm sorry. <laughs> we walk on a razor's edge and we don't know if we're going to mm. go home tomorrow. No, it's a gig. It's a job. I get you. Yeah, it's a gig. You know, I, you know, just me talking, but you know, just being real. No, it, you know, this is the thing is I love talking with other firefighters. Yeah. Because uh, you, you can see the reality of it, right? We see life and death on a real, on an everyday basis. Right. I love talking to other firefighters because people get to hear our talks, you know, like to, you know, to the average citizen, it's a rescue. Well, we call it a grab. You got to grab, you know, yeah. you yeah. people call it a, a medical call. We just call this. So I love to you'd use your terminology. But one thing I want to hit with you also, Cheyenne, is because I know a lot of times, People think the story ends right at the rescue, you know, and I know a pack of heroes came in and pulled you out of that burning building. Okay. So, you know, all glory to God, but let's also uh, give, you know, praise to those guys who came in and rescued you and pulled you out of that building. But I'm going to hit something that I know was tough for you. 
how how about the the months following the fire and the recovery? How did your faith carry you through all the pain of rehab and uh, rehabilitation and getting back to the job? Yeah, definitely. That's definitely a great great topic, especially where we are today in the fire service. So my faith was tested in a real way. You know, I, before the incident, I was a believer. After the incident, I became a follower. Wow. I love that. I look at Jesus now as my teacher, which he was, right? It's the teacher. Teach me how to live this life, Lord. And the only way I'd really learned how to do that was to get in my word. So a, a, a good friend of mine, one of the greatest dudes I know on, on this job, he challenged me. Uh, because he was a Jehovah's witness and I'm, and I'm a Christian. We, we, we talked back and forth. Right. And I found out where I was mm-hmm. because of where he was challenging me and what areas it was challenging me. And I was like, wait a minute, I need to dig. I need to dig deeper. And so I dug, man, I started digging and digging and digging during my time off, you know, and digging in my scriptures and digging to reference material. Sorry. Hold, I'll just hold pause for a second. Mm-hmm. No problem. Like everyone knows, we're at the Cheyenne's at Station 15 right now, and this is what Firehouse's life life is like. You get interrupted by a call, so let's listen and see what they got. No, <laughs> uh, it was just it was just our, our morning test of our alarm. Hold on a second. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So that's what I love about doing podcasts is, believe it or not, we don't edit that kind of stuff out, man, because like I said, people hear our conversations, but it just reiterates where you are right now. You're at LA Fire Department Station 15, off duty, of course. If there was an emergency and you're on duty, you'd be going out the door and not talking to us right now. But I love that coming in. So, Cheyenne, after the incident, mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. you're in the hospital, you're going through recovery, you're you're searching the scriptures, and you're like you mentioned now, you're you're following him, you're going deeper, man. And and how has that carried you through to where you are now? You know what, man? I'm, I'm gonna tell you the truth. Scripture became alive. Okay. Like I shared that Psalms 37, mm-hmm. 23, and 24, man, it came alive, right? And the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Mm-hmm. For the listeners out there who don't know, this is a story about in the Old Testament where, where three followers of the Lord did not bow down and worship an idol. They did not. And because they did not worship the idol, they were thrown into a fiery furnace by the King Nebuchadnezzar. And when they threw mm-hmm. them in there, they were in this furnace and they're burning and burning and burning. But then the king says, wait a minute, didn't we throw three of those guys in there? And then the Nebuchadnezzar's buddy says, yes, we threw three of them in there. He goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. We threw three guys into that furnace, but I see four. And the fourth one roaming around in the furnace looks like the son of God. Okay, so how does that come alive today? I told you when I was in the fire, I felt, you know, Lord, I'm all of myself in here. (laughs) Man. No, man, no, that's, no, that's so alive. So no, I was not. Jesus was in there the whole time, man. Right. Watching me, yes. protecting me, yes, dude. For stopping the burn, strengthening me, bringing me back to my family. <sighs> no, man, he was there the whole time. <laughs> yeah, he was, dude. He was right there with you, and and that's what's so beautiful like you know when i was going through my struggles as a young firefighter i didn't come to christ until i was 28 years old because right. i i just grew up through misery and pain as a, a child but 
when I get into the scriptures and, and I'm looking, Jesus was alive and Amen. he was with me mm-hmm. even then. He yes. carried me through. Like, I remember when the writ team came in to pull me out and stuff. And and I look back on that now that I didn't have a radio and I'm screaming, mayday, mayday, mayday. I'm trapped and I'm, I'm freaking out. Well, I'm alive because I was also screaming, mayday, 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 Jesus, my life. I'm, I'm in yes. hell right now. Yes. I, I can't get out of this pit of darkness I'm in and I'm screaming, yes. mayday. And, and he reached in and he said, I got you, man. I got you. And even to this day with my walk with the Lord, I got you, man. Yeah. And let's talk about it for, for people listening. The, the maydays of everyday life, the fires mm. that we're walking through every day, the storms that we're in. He's got mm. us, the, the Jesus of Nazareth, the Jesus of the Old Testament and yeah. the New Testament and the Jesus of today. He is alive. He is real and he is there and, and, and he's constantly rescuing us and guiding us through and he beat death. There's nothing he can't fight for you and knock down, man. And, and that's what I love about testimony and your testimony and sharing these stories, man, because they're, they're just so rich. So, as we start to tie up, because I, I so appreciate your time, man. I, I mean, you had a busy shift to working structure fires, and uh, and I know you've been working a lot lately. And uh, you know, and and for the you and the fire service right now, and everyone nationwide in the fire service as a whole. I mean, this last year was unprecedented. And I can imagine yeah. what you guys went through just with with all the the stuff going on nationwide. And I know there in LA, it's it's like everywhere else. And then with the pandemic. And then going through it also, I just, you know, wanted to say a huge thank you for everything you personally do. A huge thank you for sharing this story with us. And there, there's so much more we, we could get into and stuff. And I'm going to actually save those for uh, future talks that I think you and I are going to have when we uh, <laughs> get together and, and uh, direct them towards young men and women of the fire service, but also let everyone else in the world listen into that. But I just wanted to say thank you for everything that you've uh, done your career. And I wanted to say thank you for selflessly stepping away from your family and serving others in need, man. It's, it's such a blessing to, to see what you do, man. So I really appreciate you. Thank you, man. Thank you for the word. We appreciate you. Yeah. And so as we finish up here, um, Cheyenne, if people, obviously I'm not going to give out any of your personal information or anything like that, but say like there was someone that wanted to connect with you, someone that wanted to somehow talk with you. Do you, do you have any type of social media? And I know in the fire service, we kind of limit our social media when we're on the job for the obvious reasons. Stuff. But are there ways that people can somehow uh, get a hold of you? You know, uh, the biggest one, I think, connecting to us through Firefighters for Christ, Los Angeles, yes. FFCLosAngeles.com. There's a message board there. Those messages get to us. Uh, that'd be the, the biggest That's one. Good. I'm not a real social media. Right. I'm not a big social media uh, guy just because of the, what right. comes with it. But uh, that'd be one of the best ways. Sure to give my cell phone number out, but you know. <laughs> no, 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 no. Definitely don't give yeah. that out there. So, um, or, you know, once once you uh, end up writing a book and stuff, you'll realize why there's times you want to keep certain things personal, man, because I get crushed with the uh, phone yeah. calls and uh, emails from plays. And total blessing, but I they, they come in a lot of different directions, man. Yeah. So with that being said, I kind of cut you off there when we were talking. So it was uh, Firefighters for Christ. Could you give that uh, address again for us? FFC. LosAngeles.com, FFCLosAngeles.com. Got it. 
All right. Well, I know you hate it when I call you Captain, but Captain, it was such a blessing to hang out with you. Thank you so much for uh, um, sharing with us. And I'm going to do something I normally don't do. Would you mind finishing and ending this talk with a prayer? Oh, absolutely, man. It's my favorite thing to do. So let's do it. Let's go. Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks, God, for this time. Father, I just pray for the ears that receive this message, this talk, Lord that it just strikes the hearts of, of those listening. God, that you would just do a mighty work in their lives, that they would begin their process in following you, Lord Jesus. We know that uh, we all need you. Uh, we can't do this life without you, and it's hell without you. So, Father God, we just pray as we walk this walk, Lord, you come along. We come alongside you. You come alongside us, Lord. Allow every one of these listeners to hear, hear from what was said, and that they begin their walks, Lord, with you. And that you uh, perfect their their faith, Lord. Uh, and in the end, they can come before you on your throne. And you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. So thank you, God, for Jason. Bless his life. Bless his podcast, Lord. And bless his heart for, for what he has set out to do, what you have set him out to do. And God, I just pray for favor in all that he does, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, my friends, thank you for uh, listening to this episode of the Jesus is All We Need podcast. We really appreciate having you guys here. Cheyenne, you have a great day. Go home and get some rest and hang out with that beautiful family of yours. Thank you, bro. Take care. Finding uplifting news in today's headlines is often like searching for a needle in a haystack. At the Story Behind podcast, we believe in the power of finding heartwarming tales and are happy to share empowering stories with you every week. Get inspired by the note a waitress received from a patron dining alone. And even hear about how one VIP passenger made a hardworking pilot get emotional before his flight. To start listening to the Story Behind podcast, visit lifeaudio.com 